I was thinking as our brother was talking about the prodigal son. And you know, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, making me as one of thy hired servants. And I've come to realize that the hired servant was the very bottom level, the most lowest level possible in the society. A slave was better off than a hired servant. A hired servant got a day's labor, maybe. He didn't know if he'd get the next day, but he was totally willing to take whatever, even the very lowest position. And then instead, what did the father do? He robed him, he fed him, he clothed him, he blessed him, he put a ring on his finger, he showed all of these things to show that he had not only forgiven him, but he loved him more than anything else in the world. What a privilege it is to be the Lord's children, to realize that we don't deserve this, but we have received an incredible gift. So I'm thankful to be able to be here this morning, and let's see if we can get what... I'd like to talk this morning about two verses that have meant a great deal to me. I'm carrying right now here um, the Bible that I... You can tell it's a little beat up. This is the Bible that I first carried my senior year of high school to class every day and started reading on my own. It was when I really turned my life over to the Lord. I was saved at a very young age, but I started carrying this Bible and reading it and being a testimony to my friends and students in high school. And this morning I'd like to, I guess we're going to get this, are we ready to start with that? Let's see what we get. Okay, there we are. This is Bibles International. is a division of Baptist Midmissions. Just to tell you a little bit more about what we do, we are the Bible Society of Baptist Midmissions. And so our work is to provide the Bible translations and support materials needed to be able to enable people groups throughout the world to have the Bible in their own language and use it effectively to reach their own people. And so as such, we have about 43 projects in various parts of the world and I've been with Bibles International for 28 years. My wife is back here, and I'd like her to stand up. And just This is my wife, Becky. Becky is an editor and a writer who writes a lot of things for our publications and things like that. So we've been involved in Bible translation. You can see a picture of our staff at one of our, our, our U.S. staff at one of our annual meetings recently. And we have a lot of other staff overseas, and we couldn't get them all in the same picture. So, But that's a, it's a lot of work. We have every project has about four or five other people so we've got about probably more like um, 150 to 200 people otherwise in other parts of the world involved in Bible translation and I'll see if I do I point this um, let's see this way or that way okay there we are okay and that is not the one I want should have verses to live by on there, so we'll take that one out if you don't mind. <laughs> okay, this one I talked to about Bible translation, the barometer of world missions. I just finished this with the missions class, so we won't go over that again, but if we get this other one up here in just a minute. So, um, I had an interesting feeling this morning when the snow started falling. We have a project in Luxembourg, and the people in Luxembourg say every time I visit there, it snows. <laughs> 
And sure enough, this past April, even at the end of the summer, or the end of the winter, I got there in April, and there was a little bit of snowfall right there, so I kept my, kept my word bringing the snow to the mess. Luxembourg is a country at the corner of Belgium, France, and Germany. It's a very small country, about the size of Rhode Island, but it's a country in which, that has never had a Bible translation in their own language. And so we are doing the very first Bible translation ever in the Luxembourgish language. And the people who are the evangelical Christians in the country are thrilled with it because they found the joy of being able to read the Bible in their own language. Okay, how, how are we doing here? All right, do I do something here? All right, we'll wait just a minute here. Something's happening. Ah, there we are, verses to live by. Okay, I want to talk this morning about two verses that have shaped my life and my work as a Bible tr translator and support some stories about the work. So as I think about these, these two verses are Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And then Ecclesiastes 9, 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor device, or knowledge, or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So these verses have been very important in my life. I was born at a very young age. <sighs> Good, we're listening. I'm glad to have that out. <laughs> and I grew up in a Christian home. And my parents read the Bible with all of us children daily. My parents took it to Bible-believing churches, but that wasn't enough. They introduced me to God. <laughs> as one of their friends. <laughs> I received Christ at a very young age as well. I was almost three years old when I trusted Christ as my Savior. My parents had missionaries in the home all the time. When I was about eight or nine, we were going to a church in Connecticut, and Pastor Waterman, who was the pastor there, said one Sunday morning that if he was making mistakes in his message, he wanted people to come up and tell him. So I started cataloging mistakes in his message, and I would come up at the end of the message and say, well, Pastor, this is what you said, and this is what you said. And he had the grace enough to be a little um, very nice to this somewhat precocious and maybe somewhat obnoxious kid. But anyway, <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a step in my life of thinking. And he, I guess he probably accepted it because he knew I was listening. It was a good indication that I was listening. I had an older sister, three years older than I am, who modeled Christ for me when I was a teenager. She was my spiritual model. She served 38 years in Japan as a missionary and she's retired now. She's still my spiritual model in many ways. I went to a Christian camp between my junior and senior years of high school and there told the Lord I really meant business as a believer. I had been saved. I wasn't a rebellious teenager, but I wasn't just right on the line for him. And that's when I started sharing the Bible with friends, carrying it to school with me, and it began to shape my life. So the, the thought of it, two books that have shaped my teenage years was, as I said, this first Bible. This is the first Bible that I actually read. Now, I'm sure that all of you who have grown up in a Christian home have carried a Bible to church with you from a very young age, and it was a really cute little book, but you really didn't know what to do with it, right? But this was the Bible that I began reading and really studying for myself. And I started taking notes in it, I started marking verses, and it started shaping my life. And then the other thing is, I got very interested in studying the Bible. I went to my mother and I said, Mom, I want to learn more about the Bible. So she got me this book. Now, this has been rebound since then because I wore the cover out. Young's Analytical Concordance to the Bible. Now, I say that I got that. I didn't get Strong's Concordance, and there's a good reason for that, I think, the Lord's providence, because Young's Analytical Concordance has pages that look like this in them. 
and you can see that they have the words and then they have these funny looking things with, with italics after them and funny little words that I couldn't read. And I thought, wow, what is that? And then I found out that those were Hebrew and Greek words and I got really excited and I said, I want to learn these someday. And so even as a teenager, I started getting interested in Bible translation and I started looking at these pages and then I realized that the Lord was putting something in my heart. And you know, when we think about this verse, to delight yourself also in the Lord and to give you the desires of your heart, do you really know what your desires of your heart are? Do you really honestly know? If you look at people, um, let's look at the desires of some people's hearts. I want a baby doll in the play kitchen. Who's that? I want another Lego set. I want the latest PlayStation set up. I want my own car. I want to wear makeup and have my ears pierced. I want a girlfriend. I want a desk job with daytime hours. I want a new dishwasher. I want a nice vacation home. Are those really the desires of people's hearts or are those just the things that they come up with? Do we really know what our desires are? Even if we're following the Lord and really godly and wanting to serve him, do we really know? Well, I think that this verse points out something. The desires of heart constantly change. And as a matter of fact, our U.S. lifestyle provides plenty of options and distractions. As you well know, if you observe people in church even, even people who are known as good Christians, they have constant diversions and distractions because of life. It's truly hard to know what we really want. And too often people pursue something with passion and then they get it and they decide, oh, that's not really what I wanted after all. And so what do we do? How do we solve this problem? Um, too often people, I think Psalm 37, I'm sorry, go back for is really saying, forget what you want and think instead about who God is. Delight yourself in God and in him. Know who he is and he knows what you want better than you do. I've found that to be true in my life, that if I turn my life over to the Lord and just delight myself in him, he gives me, and I find out I really did want that, and I many times didn't know how much I wanted. He will direct you to what will truly make you happy and what will fulfill your life the most. When I was growing up, people talked about going to the mission field as, you know, the worst thing you could possibly do, but you've got to be ready to just go. Well, I found out something. Going to the mission field and doing what I've done is the most wonderful thing I've ever done in my life. It's the most fulfilling. It is the thing that my heart wanted the most, and I didn't even know it. But I, was, I didn't know I was, and as a teenager I was going to do these things. But the Lord did. And by delighting in him, he worked things out for me. Not that I've always been the most perfect about it. I understand that. We're not always on track. But what was profit to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Suppose two possibilities. Have an all and go to hell or have nothing and go to heaven. Which is the best choice? If we didn't get anything in this life that we wanted, if everything in this life was miserable for the rest of time and I still ended up in heaven, I'd have had it all. And there are Christians in this world who live that way. Who live in a state of constant fear, of persecution, of denial because of the type of society they live in which shuts them down. They lose their lives. Many things happen to them and they still get the best thing they could have. And what a privilege. So when we have settled the ultimate question, the rest is just temporary details, okay? God has all eternity to lavish on us everything else. 
what does it really matter if we have a little trouble right now? Let's delight ourselves in him in the meantime. Okay, so let's keep going on this. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. That sounds a little bleak when you think about it, but in reality, it's a great thought. Because if you settle the desire question, then you have the do question. All right. So if we settle the desire question, then all we have to do is just figure out what to do next. And that's the easy part in many sense. So what do you want to do? Our need to be entertained is a detriment to spiritual growth. Our society is sick with the desire to be entertained. Everything has to be entertaining and interesting. Otherwise, boring is to be forbidden at all costs. Boring should never happen. All right? But the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of things that seem boring but are actually very fulfilling. Learning languages is one of those things. Studying the Bible can seem boring at, at first to many people, but the more they do it, the more they find it's the best thing in the world to do. Uh, sincere right questions that some people, particularly college students, ask, and I dare say that most of you in this room have asked these questions. How do I find out what is God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants me to do? I certainly asked those questions when I was your age. And to some extent, I still ask them a little bit. But these are big questions. So what do we do? What is there to do where you are? Well, this is the first thing. Let's figure out where we are right now. What is there to do? Are there unsaved people around? Is there unsaved people close by? Are you talking to them? Are you reaching out to them? Is there a Bible handy? Have you read it? Are you reading it? Is there a church to go to? Are there tasks at church to be done? Are there other Christians that need help? Are there things to learn? Are there people to pray about? There's gobs of things to do right where we are, whenever we are at, whatever we're doing, there's plenty to do right then, right there. And so I'd like to put it this way. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The difference between the general will of God for your life and the specific will of God for your life. You will not know the specific will of God for your life if you're not willing to do the general will. If you're not willing to do what everybody should do, why should God bother to tell you what you're supposed to do, specifically? Our lives need to be doing what everybody needs to do. If you won't do what God wants everyone to do, why would you do what he wants you specifically to do? You think about that. Our life needs to be, first of all, doing what we know everybody's supposed to be doing. And then see what the doors open up. We go on from there. As far as I know, I am trying to do the general will of God. What next? And I hope this is your thought. If you haven't gotten to this place, I would wrestle with this. Present yourself before the Lord and say, as far as I know, Lord, I want to do, some, I want to do what I'm supposed to do, what everybody's supposed to do. Help me know if I'm missing something. If I'm missing it, I'm ready to learn. And then when we get to that place, what do you do next? Well, the first thing, I think, is find out what you're good at that matters to the kingdom of God, that matters to the work of God on the earth. What are you good at? What has God gifted you for? Find out what that is and see if it's something God wants you to do in his, in his work. Second, prepare yourself for the future ministry you hope to have. And that's why, I guess, I sort of figure that's probably why you're here, right? I hope so. <laughs> okay, so you're preparing, and I know that that's, this is a good thing, but I know that I was through four years of Bible school and two years of graduate school and still didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do. 
it's a hard thing sometimes to know. As a matter of fact, my wife and I both as teenagers committed ourselves to missions. And every mission conference we went to, we thought, this is where the Lord wanted us to go. We loved every mission field we heard about. And the Lord kept saying, no, just stay where you are, doing what you're doing. And it wasn't until we met up with Bibles International that I realized this was what God wanted me. I was preparing for it. In the meantime, I'd been doing a few other things. I studied Hebrew and Greek, and I got better at those things. And I did all kinds of things in ministry. I witnessed to people. I was served as a pastor, as a minister of music in churches. So I was involved in good things, but I still wasn't sure what God really wanted me to do. Well, guess what? I was doing what God really wanted me to do. In the meantime, it wasn't a bad thing. I was doing the things that were preparing me for the future. And so God's will for our life is an ongoing thing. Go through open doors, test closed doors a few times, and then go on. Okay? Keep looking for the open doors that God is putting in front of you. And then prepare for the will of God to change as your situation and the needs around you change. It's not that the will of God changes. It's just that the will of God is not a single static thing. God has your life in mind. And he said, in, in, as Peter, Paul said to Timothy, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God has a big picture for your life. And it involves many things. And as you commit to following him, it will seem like it may be changing but it's actually part of God's plan if you're really willing to follow him. So don't be too alarmed about what you're supposed to be doing 10 years from now. Be concerned about what you're supposed to be doing right now first. And that will be part of the way. Okay. So I think I have another slide there, but it's not. Okay. Somewhere along here I'm pushing the wrong button. Okay, there we go. What have I been in my life? Well, first of all, I've been a follower of Christ since early years. And I'm the husband of Becky, which is one of the very important parts of my life. Okay, I've been a father. I am a father. I'm a grandfather. I've been a personal witness to others. I majored in music as an undergrad. As a matter of fact, I majored in bassoon, if you can imagine that. That's a sort of unusual thing. <laughs> when, I, when I was accepted into Baptist Midmissions, Dr. Anderson at our, at our commissioning service said, well, you know, we've had bassoon players before, and we've had Hebrew scholars before, but I don't think we've ever had the two in the same person. <laughs> so anyway, I've been a pastor. I've been a church music director. I've been, I've been am, and still am from time to time, a seminary professor. I love work, woodworking. I repaired musical instruments. I've remodeled our home. I've been a composer. My wife and I write music together. I am a missionary, and I'm a Bible translator. So which one of those is the will of God for my life? <laughs> you, you, our lives are many-faceted. And the Lord wants to be a part of every facet of our lives and direct us in those things. And there's not one that is the will of God for our lives. The will of God for our life is a broad, multifaceted picture of what God is shaping us into and guiding us into. And so being what you should be right now and preparing for what might come in the future is all of life. You don't finish up that. You never get to the place where you're out of school. Now, I know that sounds really dismal, doesn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> technically, we never stop learning because we're always 
you know, when I was in school, we talked about guys who were trying to cram four years into five years into four, four years into five, you know. And, you know, I had a son who crammed five years into four. He did just the opposite. He got two degrees and never studied at all, got straight A's and everything. And he was just really, anyway, that was a good thing. Okay. <laughs> My experiences as a Bible translator. I want to tell you about five things that I've done. The British Museum. Now, what did I do as a Bible translator at the British Museum? Well, one day on my first trip to India, when I first found out about Bible translation, on the way back, we stopped in London. And it was a really unusual day because it was cold and rainy. And so we were on the Victoria Square there watching the changing of the guard, because that's what you do when you go to London. You always go watch the changing of the guard. And everybody else in the group was just cold as could be, and they were just miserable. So they all went back to the hotel room. But I said, I'm going to go to the British Museum, and I want to see what it's like. So I got on my umbrella, and I had my coat on. And I went off to the British Museum, and I found this thing that's called the Black Steely of Shalmaneser III. And I'm sure every one of you in here knows about it. How many of you actually know what this is? All right, good. All right, this is uh, Assyrian king Shalmaneser III made a monument of his reign, and in it he carved a picture of Jehu, king of Israel. And so I always wanted to see this. And when I found it, it wasn't like it was over on the left. It was sitting out in the middle of this room with nothing else around it, no guards, no nothing. And so I went up and I touched Jehu. <laughs> Because I was excited to see real history, really this, not, not that I doubted it, I never doubted it, but just the reality of seeing the thing itself that I've read about and studied all these years and realized, yes, it really was real. It really was there. So that was kind of cool. So I got to do that because I was a Bible translator. And then my wife and I went through the Siloam Tunnel in Jerusalem. Now, if you know what the Siloam Tunnel is, it's a tunnel that was dug underneath the city of David during the time of Hezekiah so that they could bring water into the city during the Assyrian invasion. And it's about a third of a mile long, and there are no lights, and there's water in the tunnel about that deep at the bottom all the way through. And it was all carved through solid rock with small hand axes. And it's a tribute to the work of Hezekiah when he had believed that God was going to protect the city and, and, and guide it. So they made a, uh, this tunnel so water could come from the Gihon Spring down to the Pool of Siloam and be set inside the city walls. So I've always wanted to do this. So Becky and I went through the whole tunnel. And that was really cool. And then language of people groups I have worked with from 1994 to 2022. I have worked with 37 different language groups in the world. Now, I'd like to say I know 37 languages, but I don't. I only know 11. So, <laughs> and some of them better than others, I'll be honest with you. Some of them I wish I, 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 I stretch it a little bit to say I know them well, but I've worked on them. So, but these languages, by using bridge languages, we have been able to work with these different groups and be able to have mother tongue translators and then work with them through a bridge language like either English or Spanish or French in my case. And then we discuss it in those languages and we're able to work with them. So that's a privilege that the Lord has given me. And then translations that I've been a part of publishing since 1994 to 2022. 
21 different language translations. I haven't worked on all of them all the way through, but like, for instance, the Bishnupriya Gospel of John, I helped get that to press. The Songhai New Testament was the first one that I went through all the way through from beginning to end, and the Kabye New Testament, same way. And so all of these, I've participated in various ways. So in my life, I have had a part in seeing the Bible published in 20, 21 of those 37 different languages. And as I work further, we're going to see if we can do some more. So, <clears throat> consultants and coordinators of these 34 people who are our staff in the United States or based in the United States, um, 20 of those have been in the classes that I've taught on Bible translation and linguistics. So I'm striving to reproduce them. And I'd like to add about 20 more, so please sign up as we get to the end of the class. I'm serious, I'm not joking. We, we are living, and you may not realize this, we're living in the greatest period of Bible translation in the history of the world. More translation work has been done in this generation than in all the 24 and a half centuries before. So being a part of Bible translation is the going thing. It is the mark of this period. And so these people are important to me and we have worked together with them. And so what's the... Now it's your turn, okay? I am 73 years old. I probably will retire officially in two years, but I'm going to keep working as much as I can from there on. I need to know that there are dedicated people willing to follow the Lord wherever he wants to lead them. And you are some of the prime candidates. Now, if you don't do Bible translation, then, I'm sorry, you just have missed the will of God for your life. But <laughs> no, whatever the Lord wants you to do is what we want you to do. And I know that he will he will give you the desires of your heart. If you put him first, if you figure out who he is, he'll take care of the rest. He will make you happy, and you will find out it's the best thing in the world. It's exactly what God made you for. He's got a plan. It began before the world began, and you were chosen in him, and you were saved and called with a holy calling, not according to who you are, but according to who he is. And he's got a plan, and he's going to work it out, and he's going to use them. So, it's your turn now.